Hey, thanks for listening to the Junior Ziggler podcast. If you're crazy enough to want more of his content, check out the link in the description of this podcast. That link can get you to his book, his socials, and another podcast. Thanks for hitting play. Here's Junior. July 1945, the U.S. actually dropped pamphlets on a city called Hiroshima. These pamphlets warned the citizens to flee the city from impending destruction. On August 6th, one month later, August 6th, 1945, 8 a.m., a B-29 bomber is flying at 31,000 feet. Its mission slowly inches closer on the horizon. And at 8.15 a.m., that B-29 dropped a bomb called Little Boy. Inside Little Boy lied this new nuclear technology called Uranium-235. The plane slowly slowed as the bay door creaked open. The sound of propellers whirling and, and wind rushing in was, was deafening, and, and Little Boy was, was rolled out. At this point, the co-pilot was quoted as radioing in, What have we just done? And as the plane flew home in utter silence and somberness, little boy floated down by a parachute, and at 1,900 feet, it detonated over Hiroshima. It was an explosion that rocked the earth physically, but also politically. It ignited the sky yellow and orange and then into red. The shockwave traveling at 360 feet per second singed everything in its path, and it left total destruction. As experts estimate that over 100,000 people died from this nuclear bomb called Little Boy. It was complete and total annihilation. Six years later, in 1951, the sky of Arco, Idaho, also lit up because of that same nuclear power. Now, this time, there was no mushroom cloud, no explosion, no shockwave, no death. The sky lit up from light bulbs all powered by this new nuclear technology. As a city with electricity, all coming from the same chemistry, same uranium, a little different enrichment, but same technology. You think about that idea, it's fascinating, isn't it? That the same chemistry, the same element, the same technology can destroy a city, but also give it power. Same compound can cause death, instant death. Same element, two completely different effects. Used one way, it's a weapon. Used the other way, it's a blessing. And yet, each of us have that same exact potential with our tongue. That little tongue, your tongue is about three inches long, weighs about two and a half ounces. That little tongue can cause great damage, destroying homes, destroying marriages, destroying relationships, destroying workplaces, groups, churches. A little tongue has the potential for monumental destruction, but it can also give great blessing, giving life to homes and healing people, blessing relationships, blessing marriages, empowering others. Your tongue can torch those around you, but it can also heal those around you. It's the power that all of us have, but very few of us have harnessed. I mean, how many of us wish there were words that we could just put back in our mouth? How many of us can think of broken relationships because of our tongue? How many of our homes have been devastated by instantly? How many of us have decimated our own reputation with it? I think it's time we learn to harness 
our greatest power. We're going to be in James chapter 3. James chapter 3 is page 1012 in the Bible is in the chairs. Really encourage you to grab a Bible. This is just kind of what we do as a church is we open up the Bible and we slowly just go through a book of the Bible. And we're in James right now. We've been in the book of James for six weeks now. It was written by Jesus' little brother. It was a guy who grew up getting hand-me-down clothes from God. You know, imagine that. Imagine sharing a bunk bed with God. It's pretty cool. And James, he writes a book. He writes a book about how to follow his older brother better. It's been a book that's been passed around through history, been passed to different churches, and it's made its way to our church here. And so we're going to jump right into it. James chapter 3, we need prayer. Let me pray. God, I, I do thank you for your word. Even right now, may you remind us of the weight of this moment, of what we hold in our hands. That these are your words, the creator of the universe, and you've written this to us. And Father, as, as we'll see in a second, your word does not pull any punches. And we do thank you for that, because what you have for us today, we, we need it. May we have the humility to accept it. May we be honest with ourselves, and may we leave this place different because of what you've said. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we enter into James chapter 3, we, we start at a, at a little table. The, the rough-hewn planks are all cracked and splintered, and each stain, each little gouge, each little nick in that table tells a story. It's the family table, the family dinner table. The, the main dish is in the middle. It's a soft, fresh loaf of bread that's baked by mom. She makes the best bread. The aromatic steam seems to dance on the upper crust on the top. The bowl of legumes and a plate of dates sits next to it. Each plate is set with a utensil and a cup with some watered-down wine from the local press. The family eats in a rather awkward silence, as they've come to find this awkward silence as being more normal operating system for their family. The tension started between mom and dad. It was the constant picking at each other, these little bickering, always critiquing something. Dad's no fun to talk to, especially when he gets home from work. Because if he gets an ear, it's all about the stupidity of his boss and the difficulty of his work. Everyone knows, but it's just kind of left unsaid, but everyone knows he just complains because he wants to be seen as the expert. If he can critique, then everybody looks at him as being smarter. It's what's wrong with who and who did this and how he do things different, how he do things better. And it's wearing on the home. The kids do it with their teachers. Mom is pretty biting too. She can cut up dad pretty good, but she can also cut up the neighbors. Complaining is just kind of her go-to topic of conversation. It's where she seems to feel most comfortable. And the kids can't tell you why. They can't really put their finger on it, but they just don't like being here. Just the, the, the vibe of the home, the, the culture of the home. They'll likely create the same exact type of home, even though they don't care for what they have. But it's just this constant dripping of negativity Complaint after complaint, sarcastic remark, critique after critique, passive-aggressive comment, each word that just seems to bring this home down lower. It's a slow and subtle destruction of the home. If this dinner is eaten rather quickly. Tomorrow morning they will awake and they will walk to church even though they critique the church all the time. They still come out. And as they arrive, they read this letter from the famous James, the brother of Jesus. And James' favorite verses, I'm not a fan of this verse in verse 1. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Not a fan of that verse. Some of you have been around here for a while and actually stuck with us. Like, you have grace for putting up with me, and thank you. 
Like, you have reward coming. Me, on the other hand, not so much. Like, this verse, this verse, not, it doesn't just scare me. This verse terrifies me. Uh, actually, the first, the first time Denim, our campus pastor here, the first time he preached, uh, I gave him a gift before getting up here. We, we were praying together in the back room because he was, like, nervous as all get out. And so I came to him, and you know, I was like, hey, I want to pray for you and, and, and with you. And then I gave him a gift. And so he opened it up before he walked out here, and it was a bookmarker with this verse right here on it. <laughs> And it was, it was meant to be a joke, but also not really, because we we're just reminding him that it's not the people the teacher fears. Pastors should not fear the, what the people say and how the people critique. People are going to get mad. People are going to reject Scripture, and that's on them. It's God that the teacher must fear, because this is coming. This is coming. But this isn't just for pastors, though. Any school teachers in here? Any bosses in here? Any managers in here? Any instructors in here? Any parents in here? Hey, welcome to the club. You're going to be judged more strictly too. Just kind of making myself feel better and leveling the playing field here. We're all in the same boat. See, the wording that James uses here for teacher isn't just like a pre-instructor. It's a teacher. It's a parent. It's a boss. It's a, it's a manager. It's any of us who use our tongue to instruct others. We'll be judged by God more harshly. I don't know if it's strictly, but in the original wording, can also be translated as harshly. So right out of the gate, James is saying, your tongue, your powerful, powerful, powerful tongue, you better learn to harness this because judgment is in your future. And for many of us who use our tongue more, it's going to be a more harsh judgment. What you say to your trainees, how you instruct your kids, how you talk about other people when your kids are around, how you talk to your employees, what you say, how you say it, your word choice, your tone, your volume, God will judge. Hey, I know this isn't fun, but, but can we just sit in this a little bit longer? This means that you will answer for every piece of gossip spread, every complaint, every critique, every sarcastic remark, every raised voice, every dirty joke, every negative comment. My goodness, you sit in that for long, we're going to become mutes and maybe better for it. Like personally, for me, some of my biggest regrets are words that I said. I can be good with words, and, and that can be a bad thing. You know, like I, I, I write all the time, and, and so words are just kind of my thing, and that can be a bad thing. War with words, words is my craft. I can battle with words, and I can cut, and, and I can hurt. I mean, there are things that I said to my wife, gosh, especially around like year two of our marriage. I wish more than anything I could just put some of those words back in my stupid mouth. I'm so thankful that she's, that she's forgiving and gracious. Biggest regrets are words that I've said. But then in a close second to that, are words that I didn't say. Times where I didn't speak up. So someone comes in and they, and they want to meet and they have an issue and then they walk away and I think, oh, I should have said that. I should have had the guts to say what needed to be said. I held on to the truth because I was just trying to be nice. I, I didn't pastor them well because I didn't say what was hard but needed. Times where I didn't speak up and lead my family and speak life into our home. Times where I didn't confront because I just don't want the headache of confronting. Times where I didn't have vision for my family and encourage them. Like in many ways, I read this and I think I am screwed. I'm in big trouble because my biggest regrets are words that I've said and words that I didn't say. But I also don't think I'm alone, am I? I hate this verse, but James says it for good reason. We fail to harness our tongue because we fail to realize the severity of it. We're so quick to just excuse our words. Well, I'm just frustrated. I didn't really mean it. You know, I was just you know, getting it off my chest. 
It's like, okay, well, are you ready for the God of this universe to replay those words with you? It's like, oh, no. Like right off the bat, we feel this healthy weight that James is, is giving us. In verse 2, then he's on, he says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So he's saying, if you can discipline your tongue, you can do anything. The tongue is the hardest. Like We like to think eating healthy is the hardest discipline. James say, no, it's not. I think it's pretty hard. I'm trying to change my diet right now. It's the worst. Eating salads is terrible. Salads are terrible. Hate them. And then my kids will like run in with Doritos, especially like the, the Cool Ranch Doritos. Those, those are like, my goodness, I can't say no to them. It's impossible. Some of us work hard to get up re- really early in the morning and, and work out. You know, be disciplined and work out. And then, Great job. Keep that up. But just so that we all know, it's the tongue that's the hardest. It's the hardest to discipline. If you can discipline your tongue, James is saying, you can do anything. And then the next few verses, he illustrates it. Verse 3, he says, if we put bits in the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. I love that picture. This week, Nicole and I were taking our kids to, um, to Kentucky. We, there's this uh, horse farm. I think it's owned by a witch because there's a lot of pagan stuff on the property, but she's super sweet, and we've kind of become friends with her. And she loves to, uh, she, she just teaches our girls how to, how to ride horses, and she lets us, like, park our camper in the horse pen so the horses will come up to our camper. And it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. We did this a few years ago, and the girls just still talk about it, riding horses, you know, through the streams and through the hills. And so this week, we're going to go down there again, and each of my girls will, will have their own horse. And, and my tiny, tiny little girls will command a large horse with a little bit in their mouth. 2,000-pound beast directed by a five-year-old with a Baby Yoda tattoo on her hand. <laughs> Just think about that. Like, this horse could take off, never to return. The horse could crush her without blinking an eye. But we put that little bit in the horse's mouth, and now she calls the shots with it. It's the same with our tongue. Your reputation, your character, your makeup as a man, your makeup as a woman, your home, your entire life is guided by that little thing in your mouth. Your tongue. He has another illustration, verse 4. He says, look at the ships also. that Though they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. You ever see a big cruise ship? Or been, been on a, I've never been on a cruise ship. Have you ever seen them, though? Huge. Like a battleship. You know, you ever been like by a base, like a naval base? You these big battleships. My, my senior year in, in high school, <clears throat> my dad and I went to the Florida Keys. Sorry. Went to the Florida Keys. I'm losing my voice. It's my third sermon in 24 hours, so I'm just losing my voice. Um, we went to the, the Florida Keys. It was my favorite trip in. <coughs> Thank you, Jansen. I appreciate it. You didn't drink out of this, did you? I'm just joking. I would have done anyways. Thank you, Jansen. Appreciate it. Um, so my, my senior year, we went down to the Florida Keys, and um, my dad and I um, were, were very, very different. And so we wanted to find the same hobby so we could spend off the Florida Keys. It was a, a Navy battleship. It's unbelievable. Uh, it took my breath away. I, I, we, we got a special certification so that we could go down deeper. And so um, it was my first time going down that deep. And, and as, we were, as we were descending, you know, it was getting darker and darker and darker. And then all of a sudden, this, just this ship comes into view. And I couldn't see the front of it. And I couldn't see uh, the back of it. I mean, just the size of this thing was just this mammoth of a ship. And so we swam around the control room, you know, all these controls. And then we swam across the deck. It was just this huge ship. And then we went around to the back. And we saw the rudder. It's just a tiny little thing. You think about that. These colossal battleships traversing the earth because of a tiny little rudder. This is what James is getting at. I mean, th- just think about right now, like what James is saying when it comes to your life. 
Where you're at in life, the culture of your home that you're going to go home to, the marriage that you enjoy or don't enjoy, the work that you've done, the amount that people look up to you or the amount that people look down on you, your life's rudder, where you're at in life, it's your tongue. Do you really believe that? That's, That's a hard thing to grasp, but do you really believe that? Again, that's very difficult to embrace, to think that your life's rudder is not your boss that's keeping you back. It's not your spouse that's holding you down. It's not like politics and the work environment that determine where you're at. No, the direction and the quality of the life that you are living, it's your tongue. James is painting this powerful picture. You have a horse, you have a ship. Someone's got to be holding the reins on the horse. Someone's got to have their hands on the steering wheel with, 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 with the ship. A horse without a bit is wild and causes damage, and a boat without a rudder spins and crashes. And this is the reality. Damaging our families, damaging our offices, damaging our reputations, damaging our testimonies for being followers of Jesus. Homes are crashing. And James is saying, it goes back to your tongue. Verse 5. He gets like really bold here. He says, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How, how great a force is set ablaze by a small fire. And the tongue is a, a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. Look at this. Setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Like, seriously, James? Kind of feels like we're going a little overboard here. Like, your tongue is a world of unrighteousness. Your tongue stains your whole body. Your tongue sets the course of your life. Verse 6, your tongue set on fire by hell. Like, okay, James, I get making a statement, but uh, yikes. This is a little much, isn't it? In 1945, the descriptions of Hiroshima were being passed around the world. The globe was shocked at the destruction. I mean, Hiroshima was once a thriving metropolis, now eviscerated. And it can only be described as nothing short than just utter devastation. All of it caused by something called Little Boy. And yet, similar things are happening in our lives, they're happening in our homes. It's, it's some of our stories. Some of our tongues have, have just had devastating effects. But it's just a slower burn. It's just the, the death that we're speaking into our marriages. It's just a little comment. It's a little pick. It's a little critique. It's, it's, a, it's a, a little passive aggression. It's just a spark. And that fire grows. And that fire grows. And that fire grows. See, James is hammering something here that we often downplay. Some of us, we have, we have unrealized fires that we've caused through gossip. We said something to someone, we're just loose-lipped, and we didn't know how far it made it, and it destroyed trust, and it burned up your reputation. You didn't even know about it. You know that they know. You forgot you even said it. I mean, how many, how many kids, I know many kids, who are stunted in life because their parents' tongue. Anytime the kid's in trouble, it's just like, well, let's just blame the teachers. Let's just blame the system. Let's just blame the coaches. Our tongue has destroyed their ability to recognize leadership structures and submission. They don't get it because they're just learning to critique it all the time. I know many kids, their view of themselves is so little because their parents' tongues have just labeled them. Yeah, well, my kid has that. Just put them in a box. Or their parents have gone off on them, just gone off, and they remember every single word. See, our relational struggles, whether it's marriage, family, in-laws, even though we like to point our fingers at everything else, I'm the victim here. No, 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 come on, it's, it's your tongue. I don't think James is overstating anything. He says, go to the circus. He doesn't really say that, but kind of. He says, see how many animals that we've been able to tame, like lions, tigers, bears, oh my, we can tame them all. Then look at verse 8. 
He says, but no human being can tame the tongue. So then why are we talking about it? Thanks, James. Like You're telling us that our tongue is the rudder of our life. You're telling us that we can burn down our families and we can burn our communities down. Like, you had me, James. You had me. I want to tame my tongue. I got a problem. And then you tell us this. Yeah, but you can't do it. They go, thanks. What's the point then? It's like the, <laughs> the first time I went hunting with my dad. We, wo- we woke up at like the, the crack of dawn and went out in the woods, you know, this frozen, sat on a frozen tree branch. My dad had his rifle and I had a BB gun. And I said to my dad, you know, I said, hey, dad, can I shoot first? Like, it's my first time hunting. I want first kill. And he said, he said, sure, but you're not going to kill anything with that BB gun. I was like, you got, you got to be kidding me. What? You're telling me you dragged me out of bed before sunrise into this frozen wilderness and I can't even do anything? Like, I was so bummed. I kind of felt the same thing reading this. It's like, come on, James, you dragged me through eight very passionate verses. And then you say, yeah, but there's nothing you can do about it. It's your encouraging word for the day. Have a great week, everyone. <laughs> no, there's something here, and it's so good. Verse 8 is true. It is true. If you have the reins over your tongue, if you're steering your rudder, your tongue, it'll always lead to destruction. If you, if you have the harness over your tongue, you and I will always veer into gossip. We're always going to veer into critiquing. We're always going to veer into negativity. We're always going to veer into biting words. You can't harness it. It has to be surrendered. Your tongue, my tongue, isn't something we can just kind of will into morality. You're going to bite it off. You don't tame it. You surrender it. You'd give it up. I mean, think about the implications of this for a second. This means, if you really sit and meditate on this for a while, this means there should be an extremely stark contrast between how Christians talk, Jesus followers talk, and non-Jesus followers. One of the main distinctions between a believer and an unbeliever is how they talk. This is how we should be able to identify each other. Hey, how do you know that they were a Jesus follower? I, I don't know. I, 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 I just how they talk, I guess. Like how they use their words is just different than everybody else. Now, this doesn't mean we should go to like work tomorrow and speak a bunch of Christianese. You know, boss says something like, hallelujah, amen, don't do that. You're going to be the office weirdo. He's not, saying, he's not saying do that. What he's saying is that we aim our words at truth. We build up and we say hard things. But we're kind about it. And outsiders should look at it and think, I like them. I like them. Now, I don't believe what they believe. That's a little hard to get on board with. I like talking to them, though, because they're very real. And they're very honest. And they shoot straight, but they're so dang tactful and gracious about it. They're above the gossip. They're above the negative noise. They have vision. They build up. They're very different than everybody else. Can people say that about you? Can people tell who you follow based on who you, how you talk. See, like, this is such a big deal, and to be quite candid with you, my struggle in preparing for this message was, to, was like, how do I convey just how big of a deal this is? Because it's such a big deal, and we don't think it's a big deal. How do I convey that? Like, it's just littered throughout Scripture, like the immense power of your tongue. And so instead of me standing up here and trying to like, convince you this is a big deal, let me just show you some verses. I mean, this is a small percentage of, of verses in Scripture, but let me just rapid-fire a few. This is whoever, this is Peter, it says, whoever would love life and see good days, you keep your tongue from evil. You want to love life? Yeah, of course. You want to, you, you, you want to see good days? Yeah, I want to see good days. Okay, well then watch your mouth. You really believe that? Or Proverbs 15.4 says, the soothing tongue is a tree of life. I've seen that before. There's people that I just love being around because like, they can say some things that are really hard, but it's like, I leave better 
when I'm around them. Like just being in their home, being around, it's just like this tree of life. But a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. And I think we all know of people who are like that. In fact, we can be guilty of that too, can't we? Two chapters later, it says, The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint. Just verse after verse after verse in Scripture. This is such a big deal. We direct our lives with it. We, in fact, we, Proverbs says, we direct our hearts with our tongue. James says the only way to really tame it is to surrender it, which can kind of feel like this ethereal concept, right? It's like, all right, Junior, i got to surrender my tongue. It's like, well, we wake up in the morning and be like, all right, God, it's yours. Direct my mouth. Is that what I'm supposed to do? Yeah, sure, that's a cool prayer. But surrender also has action. And so we have three take-homes from Scripture's biggest topic. Three take-homes. These are in your notes. But to surrender, admit you need help. Admit you need help. See, this is, again, this is one of those topics that's really hard to self-evaluate the harm that we've caused with our tongue. We can't see it all. Like, if we were to be really honest, let's say we're really honest with ourselves right now, and we look back, we're like, okay, I'm going to think about it. Yeah, okay, I can see some damage that I've caused. Yeah, I've been speaking, not been speaking life into my marriage or my kids. Oh, I've hurt that relationship with gossip. I can really rag on these people. You know, we could maybe see a little bit of damage, but, but I'll tell you, the reality is the damage that comes to our mind with our tongues, it's an iceberg. We're only really seeing 5% of the full destruction that our mouths have caused. And it's dang near impossible to see the rest. Like for me, I pride myself on this topic. Like other than preaching, I don't use words much. I just don't talk very much. For the most part, I can be more calculated with words, and I, I, I feel like I have restraint. I feel like I can be very careful. So for me, coming into this, I have a lot of self-righteousness coming into this. But the reality is, as calculated as I think I might be, I'm just prideful. I've got icebergs. Like, um, this, this last summer, I was in Norway with Nicole. I was, we were, I was invited to speak at a conference, and then after the conference, Nicole and I, we went into northern Norway to, to adventure around and do some hiking, and the scenery was just unbelievable. I didn't realize that I ruined it. So we took this little airplane to a little airport in northern Norway, got to this like, car rental place, and I'd made a reservation, but the car rental place was closed. So it's like, okay, I got like 48 hours here, and I'm sitting here at a car rental place waiting. Like, how can you be closed when there's a reservation? So I had to tell Nicole this. And then we went to this lunch in this little wharf at this cafe, like just sitting there, mountains all around us. We can see waterfalls all around us. Boats are, boats are coming in um, from, from, the, from the northern sea, uh, and we're sitting at this cafe. But the, cafe, the, the waiter got my order wrong, and what they gave me just wasn't very good. So I had to tell Nicole about that. Then we got on a ferry boat, and we took a ferry to our, our little Airbnb, and there was this, like, this little house between a glacier and the North Sea, just like this picturesque location. There was like no houses around us, but there was also no restaurants around us. The closest restaurant was 20 miles away, and I was very hungry. And so we had to drive to this fire oven pizza place in the middle of nowhere. And it was, I mean, it was kind of cool. It was just Nicole and I in this like 100-year-old little brick oven pizza place. His family owned. Two brothers were playing music, one on the piano, one on the guitar. And it was just us, like brick walls, live music. This is the two. It was like a movie. But I'm sitting, I want to eat fish. So I had to tell Nicole that. Norway isn't known for its pizza. I don't, I don't, I want Norwegian food. I want to eat fish. So I had to tell Nicole that. End of the day, we're getting ready for bed. Nicole's like all quiet. And I was like, what's up? You upset? She's like, yeah, you're killing me. I was like, what? It's like you found something wrong with everything today. We're in the most beautiful place, one of the most beautiful places on the planet. It was like the car place and the cafe, the food, the commute, the pizza place. Like you destroyed what was an amazing day. Like this amazing, I had to point out my iceberg. 
How many of us have taken these beautiful lives that God has blessed us with? God has gifted us a beautiful community. I know church is easy to complain about, but church complainers are dime a dozen. God has given us a beautiful church, a beautiful community. God has given us beautiful families. And I know it's very easy to complain about your spouse. It's just kind of the thing you do when you get around other people. But God has gifted you this beautiful spouse, this beautiful family, entrusted us with these precious children. And it's just this constant drip of atomic waste, destroying blessing. The first step is to admit there's a problem. Like me, you have an iceberg. There's people that you've hurt. Maybe you don't even realize it. But there's people who just don't want to be around you because of your tongue. And you need help. That's the first step. It's, it's like my youngest. When we go up to camp, um, we have like this little uh, like gator that we drive around camp. And, and I sit next to her, and, and, and she'll drive. She's five. She's a terrible driver. She gets it from her mom. Uh, I'm tangent my tongue again. <laughs> but she's like, you know, she's all over the place in the road. She's like almost running into people. And then she's laughing as we drive away. So it makes me think she's doing it on purpose. But she's all over the road. And it takes forever. I have to convince her, I need to drive, okay? Let me drive now. Let me drive now. And, and, and then, like, it takes her forever to admit that she needs help. And I think that's some of us when it just comes to life. We think, like, we got it. We got it. We got it. I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem. Other people need thicker skin. Other people just need to. No, stop. Your tongue needs to be surrendered. So admit you need help. Look at your icebergs and realize this is a big deal and I need help. Number two, refuse the excuses. Refuse the excuses. No more excuses. No more excuses. Yeah, that's just our family, all right? We're just, we're just a sarcastic bunch. Okay, well then change. Hey, I, listen, I get it. Sure, to some level, sarcasm can be fun. But we all know this. There's a line, right? There's a line when it comes to that. Every sarcastic remark must be balanced with more encouragement. So if you like sarcasm, cool. But for every comment, two encouragements then. Make that a rule. Like Nicole and I, we, we love sarcasm. We, we have fun together. It's just kind of one of the things we like to do with each other. We like to give each other a hard time. But we've also noticed uh, there's homes where there's just like that run on sarcasm. And honestly, it's just draining to be around. And I don't think they see the problem. But as an outsider, you kind of walk in, you're like, gosh, this is awful. And so we decided that we were going to be more careful. And so we're just kind of on each other about, it. hey, okay, sarcasm, but like, well, we're crossing the line here. Like, we can enjoy sarcasm, but we don't want to be a sarcastic house. We can enjoy sarcasm, but we don't want to be a sarcastic marriage. So for every sarcasm, like, all right, two encouragements, two compliments. Some of us are more comfortable being sarcastic than genuinely encouraging someone. That's not good. That's not okay. That's not following Jesus. Like that's, if you want to be comfortable with sarcasm, that's, that's your decision. That's fine. I'm not saying that's wrong, but you must be more comfortable with encouraging then. So no more excuses, okay? Like, oh, this is just us. This is just me. We're just realists. It's like, no, you're, you're, you're just pessimists. We're, oh, I'm just venting. No, you're just gossiping. No more, you know, like, oh, these sexual jokes are nothing. It's just a joke. Do you know, I ran across a study this week that those who joke about sex the most have sex the least. Isn't that kind of funny? I got some friends who are probably never having sex. <laughs> like what they're supposed to cultivate in their marriage bed, they're just spreading around everywhere else. And there's nothing left for in the bedroom. It's not just a joke. It's not just venting. It's not just, not just us. It's not just we're realists. No, it's, it's a problem. It's a problem. And it's a major problem. And you need help. So no more excuses. Number three, see every word as a seed. See, every word is a seed, because it is. 
Every comment you make, every conversation you have, every word you speak, it's a seed that you plant. Remember the old um, saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? You remember that? You ever say that when you are a kid? What a load of crap. One time a guy, one time a guy hit me in the head with a metal bat. I don't remember it though, but it is true. I was told about it. Um, I've been sucker punched. I've been elbowed in the face. Not pleasant. I'll tell you what hurts more though is words. Words hurt more. And I can remember words far more than physical. You know this. There are words that have been spoken to you that you just want to forget. You wish you could forget it. Your parents' negativity, it just destroyed your outlook on life. A friend's negativity just kind of destroyed your outlook on community. Someone's comment cut deep. But then there's those times where you're like really glad that words stick, aren't you? Like you remember that, that, that comment somebody made? It just, it was a seed of life. I remember when a professor pulled me aside after class one day, which is never a good sign, of, at least for me. It was during a time in my life in college. I, I was struggling in college. I was just like struggling with future. And I was just kind of in this funk. And this 80-year-old professor, he, he, he pulled me aside after class, like, oh, and he said to me, he said, Junior, you know, I've been doing this 50 years, and your talent is rare. Craft it. God's going to use you, and I just can't wait to see your future. I was like, it floored me. It's like, just, this was huge for me. I'm still trying to figure out what that talent was, but I'll never forget those words. <laughs> it was like this, this seed that, that lifted me out of this, this funk that I was in in my life. What seeds are you planting? What seeds did you plant this morning? What seeds did you plant this, this week? Because you planted seeds. Ever see our, uh, seeds did you plant this week? I oversee our, um, our summer interns at, at our camp. And last summer, I, I made bracelets for all of the interns that said, speak life on them. It comes from the proverb that life and death are in the power of the tongue. It's Hiroshima, right? It's like death or it's Arco-Idaho. It's, it's life. And so all summer, all summer long, it just, that was the theme. It was like, speak life, speak life. Because the summer that they were going to have would be directed by their tongue. This was going to determine the kind of summer they had. The words they spoke, the conversations they had determined their summer. So it wasn't about the amount of toilets they had to clean or the dishes that they had to scrub or how much free time they got. None of that determined their summer. Their summer was determined by their tongue. A complaint sowed a seed of death. Crude talk just eroded the culture. A gossip session spread multiple seeds all throughout camp. But building up, speaking life, did wonders for the camp. And so that was just kind of the theme. Speak life, speak life. I do this with, with my girls. I always... You just, we read the Proverbs, like, right, like when the girls get into an argument, you know, I'll stop it. I'll be like, all right, you need to intentionally right now speak life to each other, like encouragement or, or something. And then, and then they do, and it's like it's completely different for the next at least 10 minutes, and then we're back to where we were <laughs> 10 minutes before. But, but that's just kind of the theme in our house. Hey, are you speaking life? Are you speaking death right now? It's gotten, it's gotten to the point where now when my girls tattle on each other, they'll like run up to me like, Dad, my sister spoke death to me. It's like, <laughs> the best. But, but I, 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 we want to create that in our home because we understand that their relationship with each other as sisters and, and as the, the closeness that they'll be together and even their grandkids and their cousins, the closeness that they'll have one day, like my grandkids and, and all of that, it's going to be determined by how they're using their tongue, how they're, how they're speaking life, how they're going to relate to their spouse and how they're going to parent their kids. It all comes down to how good they are at recognizing life and death and what they're doing with their tongue. And so goes our lives. Your life is determined by your tongue. And for some of us, we've just been blowing things up. 
just tearing apart the home with our words, just going off, you know, eroding the relationships, weaponizing our tongue. And something just sets you off and you're off. And you look back, you're like, you don't even realize how much you said and the damage that you did. For others of us, it's just a slow drip of death. It's just this atomic waste that we drip in our home. It's complaint. It's passive-aggressive comment. It's critiquing this and that and teaching our kids to be. been eroding the culture and, and, the, and the circles that you find yourself in. And it's worse than we think. So we go back to verse 6. James says that our, our tongues are set on fire by hell. The solution is not shutting up. Though that is a good idea sometimes. But the solution is not just to stop. Our, our tongues are hell-bent. The solution is not to stop. The solution is to do the very opposite. Your tongue is too powerful to just stop. So what we must do, what James is saying, is take it from hell-bent, surrender to God so that it's heaven-bent. Don't just stop spreading hell all around you. Bring heaven to earth with your tongue. Because your tongue has that power. Your tongue has the power to bring heaven into your marriage. Your tongue has the power to bring heaven into your friendships. Your tongue has the power to bring heaven into your school, into your office, into your church. Like instead of cutting people up and trying to look like the expert, use that. My prayer going into this is that all of us, all of us will know people in the future where one day they will look at you and they will say, I remember that word you spoke to me. And how, what that did in my life. What that lifted me from. Man, I, I revert back to those words you spoke to me on a rough day because that's just life. Thank you. Death and life, it's nuclear. Your tongue is nuclear. It's either devastation or it's life. It's one or the other. It's power of the tongue. Thanks again for listening. Again, for more content, just scroll down to the podcast description and follow the link. Before we call it, would you be kind enough to share this podcast? It goes a long way. Blessings on you today. See you next time.